when the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation. Did we miss the flight? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself. I have a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Let yeah. Be Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Kevin! Home alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and his elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Marv. This is it. Ow! I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Why'd you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up or you're thirsty for more? From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Directed by Chris Columbus, coming November 16th. Hey, everybody. It's time to do a film commentary on one of my all-time favorite movies, Home Alone, which was released on November 16th, 1990. It was directed by... Christopher Columbus and written by John Hughes and it stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, the late John Hurd, Catherine O'Hara, and the late John Candy. So the synopsis. An eight-year-old troublemaker must protect his house from a pair of burglars when he is accidentally left home alone by his family during Christmas vacation. So basically what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of play the movie and just add my commentary here and there because i got a lot of stuff to say about this movie that I've gathered over the years of watching it. And I remember actually my aunt had bought the movie for her kids when I was nine and I was able to bring the movie to school so we all watched it right around the Christmas holiday just before the Christmas break. And then the following Christmas... I believe I got my own copy, or maybe I might have gotten my copy that year for Christmas. I'm not sure. So let's jump right into this fun-filled holiday favorite film. So the film opens on this ginormous house that actually was the same house that was used in the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Because a lot of the movie was actually filmed in Illinois. So the house is filled with people. We have the McAllister family with Peter, Kate, and their five kids with uh, Buzz, Megan, Lynn, Jeff, and Kevin. And then, of course, you have P. 
Peter's brother Frank and his wife Leslie and their five children. So there's a total of ten kids and four adults in this house. And might I might add that none of them has noticed that there's a cop at the door. You'd think that in a house full of people, even the adults would notice this guy has probably been standing there for a good portion of like an hour or so. Shouting, trying to get somebody's attention. You got kids running up and down the stairs, running from one room to the next, because they're all going to Florida to, or they're not going to Florida, they do that in the sequel. They're going to France, because Peter's other brother, Rob, has invited the whole family to vacation in France over Christmas, because they are, uh, the McAllisters are housing uh, Rob's daughter, who's going to college there, I presume? So I guess that's kind of like, for you housing our daughter going to school there, we'll pay for you to fly out to France. I mean, what family wouldn't want a free trip to France, right? <laughs> Even Aunt Leslie, who's got pillows in her arms, is like calling to her kids, Come on, kids, help get the, the sleeping arrangements set up, the beds or whatever made down here. And Joe Pesci, as uh, the cop, is trying to get her attention, like, excuse me, miss, 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 and she's out, come on, kids, come down and help me get this best made. Oh, some kids say, I had the, the um, subtitles on, and someone said, who stole my book bag? Really? That's your complaint? So everyone's getting last minute packing done and everything like that. It's like, you wait to the day of, the day before, the night before to get all your shit together? Seriously? Who does? And you're going to France, for Christ's sake. No one should wait till the day before they leave to start packing their stuff. So in the bedroom, Kevin's parents, we first meet Kate here, who says, she's on the phone to a neighbor or somebody, says Pete's brother and his family are here. It's crazy. Well, you got ten kids running around. What did you expect? So whoever Kate is talking to on the phone, like I said, a neighbor is saying that, Another neighbor's going to Montreal, and then this person that Kate's speaking to is heading out tomorrow to go. So, so everybody is going somewhere for the holidays. I mean, I mean, if you got the money to do it, go for it, definitely. Don't don't let that stop you. But you know, it's just nice to be able to stay in, and hang out with family if you can. I mean, think about it. You can go somewhere any time of the year. Why does it always have to be at Christmas? So Kevin comes in. He's pissed off. Uncle Frank won't let me watch the movie, but the big kid, kids can. What fucking movie are they watching that he can't possibly watch? So Kevin's like, it's not even rated R. He's just being a jerk. Okay, so if it's not rated R, it's probably PG-13. It can't be that damn terrible. I doubt it's got nudity. I doubt it's got a crap ton of swear words. And Kate is like, you know what, if Uncle Frank says no, then it must be really bad. No, Uncle Frank is an asshole to Kevin in every aspect of the word. So Kevin decides to be a nuisance and jump on the bed while Kate's trying to get all her stuff in a suitcase. And she's like, Kevin, come on, get get out of the room, get out of the room. And he's busy flipping through a uh, travel guide on France. He's like, hang up the phone and make me, why don't you? I'd be like, I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna beat your fucking ass. Get your butt out of the room. You're a distraction. But, I mean, it can't be too bad because Kate's all busy yakking on the phone to who the fuck ever, packing her dang suitcase. So she can't be that 
occupied that his little distraction is not going to be a big deal. So Dad, uh, Peter, comes in and asks, Kate, did you have time to pick up a voltage adapter? Because, you know, they're going over to France. Their outlets aren't going to be the same as the U.S. And Kate's like, I didn't have time to do that. Really? You had no time? What are you doing during the day? You had how long to pack for the trip? How long did you know about that you were going to France? You had time to pick up a voltage adapter. And then he's like, well, how am I supposed to shave in France? And I'm thinking... You know, there's this thing, it's called, like, a regular razor. You use it, you know, disposable razors, what have you. They're, they're... Buy a bunch of disposable razors. I'm sure they work just as well. But she's like, oh, just grow a goatee. Yeah, you'll fit right in, I'm sure. Because everyone's all up on their facial hair over there in France, probably. I don't fucking know. Then Kevin decides to bitch to his dad, like, Dad, no one will let me do anything. And Peter's like, you know what? You don't got anything to do. Pick up those little micro machines you left. Aunt Leslie almost stepped on one. She almost broke her fucking neck. All right, pick up your crap. Don't leave your stuff all lying around because people are going to be breaking necks. So Kate mentions to Peter how Kevin was in the garage playing with the glue gun. And Peter's like, Kevin, didn't we talk about this? And Kevin's, to his defense, he's like, I was trying to make Christmas ornaments out of fish hooks. And Peter's like, my new ones? And Kevin's like, well, yeah, I couldn't exactly make them out of the old ones that got dry worm guts stuck on them or whatever. Fish guts, worm guts, whatever. It's like, uh. And Kate's like, Peter, can you just get him the hell out of here? And Peter's like, all right, Kevin, get out of the room, okay? So Leslie comes in and is like, Peter, Kate, do you have a voltage adapter? It's like, no, because Kate didn't bother to get one for Peter. Why the fuck would she have one for you, Leslie? So Peter's like, you know what? Here, here's your voltage adapter. He picks up Kevin and tosses her, tosses Kevin in Leslie's arms. Like, here you go. Here's your voltage adapter. And then she just takes, Leslie takes Kevin. He's like, geez, Kevin, you're getting so heavy. Go pack your suitcase. Kevin's like, wait, what? Pack my suitcase? Okay, seriously? They're going to France tomorrow. He doesn't know. He should have indication that they're going on a fucking trip. He he's, makes it sound like, pack my suitcase like you want me to leave. Kevin. Ay, ay, ay. So now he's going to bitch to all of his brothers and sisters about packing a suitcase. So downstairs we got this girl, one of Kevin's cousins. I don't know what the hell her name is. She's asking Fuller, who's played by Macaulay Culkin's real-life brother, Kieran Culkin. She's like, Fuller, do you know where the shampoo is? And he's like, I don't live here. And she's like, I can't believe a house with this many people, there's no shampoo. Well, you know what? I don't think they want you taking their shampoo. If they don't have it there, more than likely, they packed it for themselves. And this is back in the day when you could actually just take shampoo. You didn't have to put it in a... And a clear bottle or anything like that. So, it's like, girl, they don't want you stealing your their shampoo. You know, that is just like Uncle Frank coming up. That's where she gets that from. She gets that from her dad. Her dad. Ay vey. So, the cop manages to catch this girl and is like, hey, are your parents home? She's like, yeah, but they don't live here. And then she just walks off. Oh, okay, so we get the girl's name is Tracy as this girl in a college sweatshirt comes down the stairs. Says, hey, did you order the pizza? She's like, no, Buzz did. 
So she asks the girl whose name we'll learn is Heather, like, hey, are your parents here? And she's like, no, my parents live in France. Then he asks this other girl, like, are your parents home? Like, yeah. Do they live here? And she's like, no. It's like, nobody is stopping to talk to this guy. But just, I mean, he's like, well, so what? This isn't, uh, you know, all these, no parents. It's just a fancy orphanage or some shit. Like, uh. So we get Kevin bitching to his brother, Jeff, about saying, I don't know how to pack a suitcase. I've never done this once in my whole life. So what? They've never gone on trips. This is the first trip they've ever taken in Kevin's eight years of life. And he does not know how to pack a fucking suitcase. And Jeff is like, I don't want to hear it. You know, big deal. You know, I got my own problem. So basically he tells Kevin tough. And Kevin's like, well, that's what Megan said. And then out in the hall, we see Megan... And she's like, what did I say? And Jeff is like, well, you told Kevin tough. He's like, she's like, well, the dope was whining about a fucking suitcase. Like, what am I supposed to do? Shake your hand and say congratulations, you're an idiot? What the hell does that even fucking mean? So Jeff is like, you know what? Buzz told you just make, you know, pack toilet paper and water. Why? I'm sure their water in France is safe to drink. I mean, are they a uh, short supply of uh, TP over there? You need some extra to wipe your bum hole? <laughs> I don't know. So Meg is, Megan is all in Kevin's ass about, you know, you're completely helpless. Everyone has to do everything for you. Blah, blah, blah. So then we're greeted by another McAllister sibling, Lynn, who's like, I hope you didn't just pack crap, Jeff. So... How long are they staying in France? I think just for the holiday season. And it's like, is that supposed to be a carry-on or is that his stuff? Because he'd have to have an actual suitcase, you know, with clothes and stuff. Unless he's just packing the basic garbage like, oh, I need my my Walkman. I probably need my Game Boy. I probably need this and that. Oh, he's got a toothbrush, so that's good, but... That's going to be a carry-on, I would imagine. That's probably what the kids are only responsible to carry what they want to bring on the plane itself. Because from the U.S. to France, that's going to be like hours upon hours and hours of flying. you got to have something to do. No one had iPods back then. so And they didn't have Netflix on their phone, so they couldn't watch that. So Lynn turns to Kevin and says, you know, Kevin, I don't know what you're so worried about. You know Mom's going to pack your stuff anyway, which you probably already did. And then she's like, you're what the French call les incompetentes, which probably means you're incompetent. And then we see Jeff take his little duffel bag and chuck it down the stairs so it lands right at the cop's feet. And Kevin is like, oh, this house is so full of people. It makes me sick. When I get up and get, when I grow up and get married, I'm going to live alone. And then he's jumping up and down, screaming, I'm living alone. I'm living alone. Like, eh, he doesn't understand the concept of being married. You're actually not alone when you're married. And then she adds, P.S., you got to sleep on the hide-a-bed with Fuller. He doesn't have his own room? What the hell's a hide-a-bed? Like a pullout? And then she's like, oh, by the way, Fuller's probably going to piss himself while you're sleeping, so just so you're aware of that. Like, really? They're putting him with him. Yeah, I don't think they want him pissing all over their sheets and stuff. Put him in the bathroom or put him in the tub. I'm sure he'll be fine. Fuller will be fine there. Not to mention the tub will be easy cleanup for when he pisses himself. The family really needs to limit um, Fuller's 
Pepsi intake also. So now we move on to Buzz's room, and he's got a tarantula as his cousin. They say this actor played, um, what's his face? Averman from Mighty Ducks. I gotta tell you, I'm not seeing it. Because this came out in 1990, and Mighty Ducks came out in 93. This guy does not even slightly resemble that kid. But then again, who the hell knows? I could be wrong. So, Glasses Boy here says, what's going to happen to your tarantula while we're gone? And Buzz is like, he's good. He just ate a whole load of mice guts. He's going to be good for a couple weeks. Are they going to be gone for a couple weeks? So it's probably, what, Christmas through New New Year's they'll be coming back, I guess? So then Buzz asks, is it true the French babes don't shave their pits? And the kid, the, the glasses boy is like, well, some don't. And Buzz is like, but they got nude beaches. And the kid is like, well, not the winter time they don't. Because it's got to be the same season. It's got to be winter over the cold winter over there just like it's in the U.S. at this time of year. So no, there's nobody going to be strolling around nude at a nude beach in fucking December. So the whole thing about the French women not shaving their underarms, is that like a gross out thing for him? Is he getting turned on by that? I don't get it. So Kevin comes in when Buzz is fiddling with his Walkman. And, uh, oh, he's got a poster of California girls that have girls in, like, scantily clad bathing suits. Well, actually, they look like they're bathing suits from Baywatch. But anyway, Kevin comes in and is like, hey, Buzz, can I sleep in your room tonight? Fuller's... He's got his thing going on. I really don't want to be anywhere near him when he pisses all over the place. And Buzz is like, you know what? Don't you know how to knock? And no, you're not going to stay in my fucking room. I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my ass. That's really nasty. Ew. I don't want to think that. That's gross. So then he's like, hey, check it out, old man Marley, because he can hear, like, shovel scraping through the window, and he's like, oh, guys, let's go check out this next-door neighbor old man who's shoveling his driveway, and I'm going to tell you a story about the South Bend Shovel Slayer. So this is a story that's been going on for years, and Buzz explains how Marley back in, hold on, 58, 68, so Buzz says that's him back in 58, he murdered his whole family and half the people on the block. Basically, that's the story that's been going around. Are you kidding me? Bullshit. He's just saying it to scare the shit out of Kevin. So he murdered his whole family with a snow shovel, apparently, and Buzz says he's been hiding out in this neighborhood ever since. Well, the thing we're going to learn later on is that he has been, Marley's been living in that house long before Buzz and his family moved into the house that they're in. So Buzz clearly got his info from somebody. And he's going to believe it with the grain of salt that somebody told him. So Glass's boy says, well, if he's a sh- the shovel slayer, how come the cops don't arrest him? And then Buzz says, well, they don't have enough evidence to convict. And then he goes on about, see that garbage can full of salt? That's where he keeps the bodies. He goes up and down, salting the sidewalks. And at night, the salt turns the bodies into mummies or some bullshit like that. And then all of a sudden, Marley looks up and the kids are freaking out. Like, oh my god, he looked our way! 
It's like, he is right within eye distance. I'm sure if he turned his head, he could have seen you kids fucking looking at him. It's like, you're doing something and you can't help but look up because you know somebody is fucking staring at you. So this has got Kevin freaked out, this damn story here. It's like, I want, if Buzz had never said anything, would Kevin really have been afraid of him? It's only because Buzz put that shit story into his head. So now we get the pizza delivery guy in Little Nero's that really resembles Little Caesar's here. And this running gag of him hitting the statue. Everyone in a car hits this fucking metal statue in the McAllister's front yard. Oh, it says on the sign of the car, it says Little Nero delivers twenty in 20 minutes or you don't pay. What is with Fuller and this other girl? They're that intimidated by a cop who's just trying to be friendly. It's like, how are you kids doing today? A lot of action around here, huh? It's like he's trying to get information. Like, he's like, oh, going on vacation? Where are you going? So he's like, these kids are, like, just stunned. Like, uh, their mouths agape. Uh. It's like, do you hear me or what? Going on a trip? It's like, where are you going, kid? I'm like, oh, God. These kids are not going to fucking talk to you, guy. So this little Nero's delivery driver is just pounding on the fucking door. And then uh, the cop lets him in and he's, the driver is like, all right, it's 122.50 plus a tip. And the cop's like, guy, that's not for me. I don't live here. So the um, delivery guy's like, oh, so you're just around for the holidays? And uh, the cop's like, yeah, you might say that. So Uncle Frank comes down the steps. He's like, hey, guys, pizza's here. And he just takes them and says, all right, that's $122.50. And then Frank is like, oh, it's my brother's house. He'll take care of it. I'm thinking, oh, wait, no. You don't get these pizzas until I get paid. Finally, Peter McAllister comes down the steps. And he's like, hey, hi. And then the cop is like, are you Mr. McAllister? The Mr. McAllister who lives here? And he's like, yeah, why? And then the cop is like, well, I'd like a word with you, sir. And he's like, oh. Am I under arrest or something? And then the cop's just like, no, no, this is around this time of year. There are a lot of burglaries. We just want to make sure that people are taking the proper precautions and all that stuff. And he's like, well, yeah, we're doing automatic timers on our lights and uh, always locking our doors and windows, all that stuff. And then he says something like, hey, you get some eggnog. Like, and then the cop is like, eggnog? That's when Buzz comes down and kind of like uh, pulls... Peter away like come on dad let's go eat some dinner it's like yeah let's go eat those stolen pizzas we haven't paid for yeah in 1990 had automatic uh timers for your lights and then uh locks for the doors I think about as well as anyone can really do these days and it's like yeah it's a shame you don't have a security system with the kind of money I mean if you got a house like that you get a ADT security system or something but the, then the uh, the pizza guy is like, yeah, well, someone owes me 12250 It's like, this guy has probably got other fucking deliveries to make. So all the other people that he's probably going to deliver to are getting free fucking pizzas. And this guy is going to lose his fucking job. So now we move into the kitchen while everyone is chomping down on this pizza that I am really angry that they have not paid for. So the delivery guy driver is like, so what, I just stand here, wait for my money while you all eat pizza? That's bullshit. So in the kitchen, Leslie's like, you gotta grab yourself a napkin. You're gonna have to pour your own drinks. What, are they incapable of pouring their own drink? Fuller and whatever the hell his sister's name is. Brooke, I think her name is. Is it Brooke? I don't fucking know. 
Uh, but she does, the little girl does say, like, oh, does Santa have to go through customs? Uh, no, I'm sure he doesn't. He's everywhere. He just ad adapts to wherever he has to be. So Kevin's kind of walking around the table, seeing, checking out people's pizza, seeing if anyone ordered him a plain cheese. A plain cheese? What a waste of money. Just pick the crap off of it and eat it. So Fuller asks his dad, Frank, like, um, do we got to get up early in the morning? And Frank's like, yep, we're leaving the house at 8 a.m. on the button. So Kate comes into the kitchen and is like, I hope you're all drinking milk. I want to get rid of it. And then I don't know what her daughter's like trying to aim for something in the trash. And Kate's like, hey, don't, don't you dare do that. What, throw something in the trash and miss? So Peter's like, honey, the pizza boy needs 122.50 plus a tip. And she's like, for pizza? It's like, uh, yeah. 10 pizzas times 12 bucks. So they have 14 people in that house. And if they're ordering, like, those are probably, like, what, mediums, larges, maybe? Times 8 slices times 10 pieces. That's, like, what, 80 fucking pieces? Everyone's... I'm gonna do that math and be right back. So that's 10 kids... Four adults and one girl whose parents live in France. So that's 15 people divided by 10 pizzas, which probably have about eight slices. So that's 80 pieces divided by 15 equals everyone's getting at least five slices. No one needs to eat five slices of pizza. That's nuts. Honestly, I think they only need maybe two or three pieces. Any more, no kid is going to eat more than three pieces. I know that. So they could have just done themselves with like, like, let's see. Yeah, so they probably could have used at least five pizzas with eight slices. That's like 40-some pieces. That would have been plenty for everybody. So Leslie's like, Frank, you've got the money. Come on. He's like, traveler's checks. I'm like... You could be splitting the bill so Peter isn't feeding his kids plus your fucking kids. He is a damn freeloader. He must be the black sheep of the family or some shit. But Kate tells Frank, like, don't worry about it. We got cash. We're good. This is so gross. Buzz is, like, stuffing his damn maw with a... Like, shoving literally a piece of pizza into his mouth. Ew, it's so nasty. But I have the subtitles on, and Peter tells Frank, like, you probably got traveler's checks that don't work in France. Yeah. I think he did that deliberately, so he wouldn't have to, um, pay for anything, and it's just gonna be all on Peter's dime. So Kevin calls out, like, hey, did anyone order me a plain cheese? I mean, hell, you got, like, ten pizzas, like, so pretty much, like, a pizza, one whole pizza for every fucking person. But they couldn't bother to order a plain cheese. And Buzz is like, oh, yeah, we did, but you were late, so we, it's already, is gone. Like, they just got those damn pizzas, like, ten minutes ago. You can't tell me they're all gone. And Kevin, just pick the shit off the goddamn pizza and eat the fucking cheese then. If it's that big of an issue for you. He does not need to be that damn picky. But then again, they don't need ten fucking pizzas either. 
Then Buzz continues, like, yo, oh, yeah, if you want any, someone's going to have to barf it all up because it's gone. It's like, that is nasty. So he proceeds to say, hey, Kev, go get a plate as he pretends to, like, puke up pizza. And the thing is, when I was watching this as a kid, I didn't realize it. I thought he was actually puking, just like he'd had too much pizza or something. Of course, Leslie's got to tell Fuller to go easy on the Pepsi. And we see him with a Pepsi, and he's, like, just chugging it like it's a beer. And he's got this big old smile on his face. I'm thinking, Leslie, you need to cut that kid's supply of Pepsi down. Like, you need a cutoff limit. Like, okay, it's 7 o'clock. No more liquids for you. I actually had to have a cutoff time of 8 p.m. with no liquids for me when I was that age. Oh, Kevin is royally pissed as he, like, screws up his face. He's like, I'm gonna fucking kill you, Buzz. As Buzz is like, oh, here, Kev, go get it, Plato. Let me barf this up for you. And Kevin's like, he pushes Buzz into the counter. And he's like, I've had enough of your fucking shit all fucking day in up my ass. So he pushes Buzz, who proceeds to knock over the two liter of Pepsi behind him, which splatters all over the damn tickets. Why are the tickets on the counter in the damn kitchen when there's food all over the place? That is... That is not the place for that shit. Yeah, it's like milk and everything. It goes all over the tickets and passports and all that shit. And everyone's like, what the hell? God damn it, Kevin. So Peter's like, oh shit, the passports. And he knocks over a two liter of pop that goes onto Frank's pizza, who's like, watch it, dang it. And then Fuller, I don't know why the hell he has to get up out of his fucking seat. Like, oh my god, this is so cool. Brothers fighting. And then Frank gets up, not saying, and like pushes his chair back, which pushes Fuller into the stairs and smushes smushes his face. So Kate finally manages to pull um, Kevin and Buzz apart. And she's like, Kevin, what is wrong with you? No, no yelling at Buzz. Like, Buzz, why did... You're supposed to be the bigger brother here. What what the hell is going on? No, it's never Buzz's fault. But as we get a close-up shot on the um, trash, we see Kevin's American Airlines ticket is in the trash. As his name is clearly printed with a black sharpie. So, Kate is like, Kevin, what is wrong with you? And he's like, he started it. He ate my pizza on purpose. Kevin, everyone ate your fucking pizza on purpose. That's what it's there for, to eat. It's not like everyone gets their own fucking pizza. Yet you have enough for everyone to get their whole damn pizza. He's like, he knows I ate sausage and olives and blah, blah, blah. And, and... Frank is all busy wiping fucking pop off of his pants. And he's like, look what you did, you little jerk. You don't say that to your brother's kid. You might be thinking it, but you don't say it. How would he like it if Peter screamed at one of his fucking kids? So this causes Kevin to look around at them, and everyone, everybody is fucking glaring at his ass. Like, you piece of shit. And Kate's like, you know what, Kevin, you need to go upstairs. And he's like, why? I didn't do anything. And Peter's like, all right, you need to go. Okay, just go. And Kate's like, all right, you say goodnight, Kevin. You're done. And then she pulls him along. And then Kate comes up to the, st- um, to the bottom of the stairs there where we have the cops still waiting. 
the fucking pizza guy is like, okay, somebody needs to pay me so I can get back to my damn job, which I probably already lost due to having to wait while you guys scarf down pizza you haven't even fucking paid for. So she does pay him a tip, pays him off and everything like that. And then uh, the cop is like, oh, um, you got a house full of people. What's going on here? She's like, oh, well, my brother came in from Ohio. We're going, his other, my husband's other brother is you know, planning a trip to Paris for us because we're housing his daughter while she goes to college out this way. And the house is just crazy. And then Kevin, after she pays the pizza guy, Kevin's like, why did you bring more cheese pizzas? Well, you know what? You didn't order more than just one fucking cheese pizza. It's what you order. It's not they don't just give you a bunch of pizzas and you take your pick. It's what you order is what you get. So as she's pulling Kevin along up the stairs, she's like, there's 15 people in this house. You're the only one that needs to make trouble for whatever reason. I'm like, Kate, you are looking at the wrong son here. Why don't you take a look at Buzz and deal with his piece of shit ass? So she's like, all right, get upstairs. And he's like, um, I am upstairs. And she's like, no, you're going to go up to the, up here, upstairs to the attic. And he's like, what, the third floor? She's like, nope. Uh, yep, go, go, go. He's like, but it's scary up there. And she's like, don't worry, Fuller will be up here in a little while. And Kevin's like, no, Fuller is going to piss all over me. I don't want him there. And she's like, fine, fine, fine. We will put him somewhere else. Yes, put him in the bathtub. He'll be fine there. So that, why they move Fuller to another place is going to play a very important part in this movie as to what happens. And Kevin's like... You know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She's like, too late, get upstairs. And he's, he turns around as he's heading up the stairs and like, you know what, everyone in this family hates me. And she's like, well, maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. And he's like, I don't want a new family, all right? Families suck. So she's like, she doesn't deny it when he says everybody in this family hates me. All she says is, well, maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. What a bitch! Why would you say that to your kid? You're not denying that nobody in the family likes him. I swear, I think Kevin was one of those accidental pregnancies that, you know, didn't pull out in time or some shit. Because he's a significantly young age than the other ones. I mean, he's eight years old and the other one up from him has got to be at least like 12 or 13 years old. So he must have been like... The, act, the whoops, the whoops pregnancy. Like, whoops, didn't use a condom, didn't pull out in time. So she's like, all right, you know what? I'm going downstairs. You're going to stay up here and think about what you did. He's like, fine, I don't care if I ever see you people ever again. Get, just mm. She slams the door in his face and goes downstairs. So that is that. Kevin's laying on the hide-a-bed thinking, you know, these people are just a bunch of jerks. I wish they disappear. I don't want to. I don't care if I ever see them again. So that night, a terrible storm hits. A windstorm, it looks like, because there's no snow at all. It's not like a winter snowstorm. It's more like a really bad windstorm or something, which causes a tree to break and hit the power lines, thus knocking out the power in the uh, McAllister's home. And it looks like it hit the power. Knocked the power out about 4.37 is what the alarm, alarm clock says. So, looks like they're not going to be able to get up in time to make this flight. <laughs> As they are awoken to a knock on the door from the people from the airport, 
that have arrived with a shuttle to take them to the airport. And the guy's like, well, you know, they said be here at 8 o'clock sharp. Where the hell are they? And one of the shuttle vans ended up knocking over that fucking metal statue. Oh my goodness. I mean, they do have a consumer's energy person out there working on the, um, the lines and everything like that, so... But Kate wakes up and sees that the power's out, so she grabs her watch, and it's after 8 a.m. Like, oh shit, we slept in. More like they accidentally overslept. So the whole family is in a, like, tizzy trying to get, everyone's trying to get dressed, they're trying to get all their shit ready to go, which they technically should have had it, like, the night before. Their shit should have been by the door. The stuff that they're going to wear the next day should have been ready to go so they could throw it on. Everyone, a lot of people, are they're just in the middle of getting dressed and everything. So we got this little wiener kid here from next door that's like, Oh, wow, looks like the McAllisters are going to blah, blah, blah. And uh, the guy is like, he's bugging the driver. Like, leave the man alone. He's trying to do his job and you're asking a thousand fucking questions about the van and does it get four-wheel drive? Is it automatic or blah? I'm like, kid, go away. But this kid's role is going to play an important part in why this whole mix-up happens. So this kid clearly wants to tell this man his whole fucking life story. And ask him a thousand and one questions. Kate asks Peter where the tickets are, and he's like, I put them in the microwave to dry them off with the passports and everything like that, because they probably smell like soured milk, because milk was spilt all over them. Why would they, like I said, why would they have them just on the kitchen counter where there's gonna be a lot of open containers? So Heather gathers the kids all around the van so she can get a total head count, and that damn neighbor kid is messing around in one of the bags, and he's taking a picture with a Polaroid can or uh, one of those 35mm cameras, playing with a yo-yo, this and that. It's like, kid, get the fuck out of here. But, unfortunately, Heather counts him as one of the kids. So, basically, she probably thinks, oh, it's just Kevin here. So, uh, the adults come out, and Frank is like, you know what, there's no way in hell we're going to make this flight. It leaves in 45 minutes. And Peter's like, you got to think positive. And Frank's like, no, you be positive, I'll be realistic. Which is true. They sure as hell would not be making this trip today. They would not be able to make that flight in 45 minutes. Not with all the security. You got to go, you got to get checked in. You got to go through security. You got to take your shoes off. You got to go through a secure medical detector. All that shit. So as Kate gets in the van, the guy from the consumer's energy truck or whatever says, you know, your phone lines are down. He's from the phone company. Your phone lines are down. It's going to take us a few days to get everything up and working. She's like, yeah, 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 I don't care because I'm going to be in France, so it's not going to be a problem for me. So she turns to Heather when she gets in the van and says, hey, do you do a head count? She's like, yep, got everyone accounted for. Like, all right, let's roll. So, of course, the family is at the airport, and they are running to catch their flight. Wouldn't this raise a little suspicion? I mean, I've been to a few airports so far since I've, you know, been on flights. And I've never seen one hauling ass. Otherwise, they're going to get tackled by security and removed from the building. So they get to the ticket gate just in time. Like, oh, did we miss the flight? And the lady's like, nope, nope, you're good. You just made it. So the lady says to them, single seats only in coach. Take whatever's free. Really? 
What all did they have free back then? Because I think they only give you like a bag of nuts or a bag of pretzels or something. Maybe half a, a little uh, cup of pop as from the flights that I've been on. So the kids are all back in coach where, you know, Peter, Kate, Frank, and Leslie all get to be up front in first class. And let me tell you, these seats look so roomy. They look so comfortable. Oh, they just look so nice. So as Kate and Peter settle into their seats, Kate's like, oh, God, can you believe we made it? I hope we didn't forget anything. And then we go back to the house as Kevin comes out of the attic, probably wondering where the hell everyone is, why it's so quiet. I'm surprised that ruckus and everything didn't, like, rile him up. Like, what the hell is all that noise and everything? But that attic must be soundproof because he didn't hear a damn thing. So if they're all up after 8 a.m. because the alarm didn't go off, then what time did he get up? 9, 30, 10 o'clock? So after using the bathroom, Kevin comes downstairs to an empty kitchen, kind of like, hey, Mom, where are you at? Hey, anyone here? Yeah, it's quiet as a tomb. And you had, like, 15 people in your house last night, and now there's, like, nobody. You would hear, if people were there, you would probably hear them. There would be a lot of noise and everything going on. So Kevin turns on the little TV in the kitchen, and it's playing Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, by the way, they have a doggy door because they have a dog, but they put the dog in the kennel for uh, the time that they're going to be away. I wonder what kind of dog they It's got to be a small dog because that doggy door is not very big. Maybe they have like a terrier or something. So back in first class, they're serving everyone orange juice and whatnot, and Frank is like testing out the silverware, like, hey, that's real silver. Then he turns to Leslie, his wife, says, hey, put this in your purse. And she's like, I'm not going to. He's like, put this in your purse. We can sell it later. Like, I'm sure they're going to want their silverware back, Frank. Come on now. So Kate is kind of applying some uh, lip liner or something. As she's doing that, she, tur she turns to uh, Peter and says, don't you feel like a heel in uh, being in first class while the rest of the kids are all in coach? And Peter's got this little uh, paper napkin bib on. He's like, no, no, the kids are fine. They're having the time of their lives. And then he goes on to say how when he was their age, the only traveling they did was in the back of a station wagon. Now, back of the house, it cuts back to the house, and Kevin's kind of wandering around, still calling out to his dad, his mom, his siblings. Kevin, how mentally, uh, whatever are you? Because by now, you'd think there's nobody in your house. Where do you think they're hiding at? The bathroom? Oh, I love in the master bedroom, it looks like Kate had been wrapping some Christmas gifts because there's like a little card table set up in a corner there with a bunch of wrapping paper and everything. So it looks like Kevin is going from his parents' bedroom to Buzz's bedroom to the basement to outside when he sees their cars. Like, oh, they didn't go to the airport. Their cars are still here. Well, yeah, it wouldn't have uh, come to his mind that they would have taken a shuttle because they left the garage doors open. Now, just to tell you, I'm not a fan of basements either, so I can see why that big ginormous furnace would scare the shit out of Kevin as he thinks it comes to life and screams at him as he runs out the door. And that's when he sees that the cars are still there. It's like, they're, the cars are still here. They didn't go to the airport. Oh, did they? Crap. So he actually thinks that he made his parents disappear. Like, he made some magical wish and they're, they're not there. So he kind of sits at the counter 
and kind of ruminates over that fact. Like, oh, crap, I made my family disappear. But then he kind of thinks back on the shit that they were saying last night, like Uncle Frank telling him he's a jerk, his brother Jeff calling saying, you're such a disease, and then his mom yelling at him saying that you're the only person in this house that's making trouble, and blah, 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 and Buzz is saying something, I'm going to feed you to my tarantula. I don't remember when the hell that happened, because he certainly didn't say it. So when after that whole thing, he kind of ruminates on what they said. He's like, hmm, I made my family disappear. Sweet. So then we see him going crazy, running up and down the stairs, through the halls, jumping on his parents' bed, eating microwave popcorn, making a huge fucking mess. So now he decides to go through this trunk in Buzz's room that's got all manner of the coolest crap. He's looking at a Playboy. He's like, oh, no clothes on anybody. Sickening. Well, yeah, a Playboy magazine is going to have people without their clothes on. That's kind of the point. Which Playboy, I don't think it even exists anymore. That one out of publication like a year or so ago. So he finds some other stuff, some Gator Crunch something. He pulls out firecrackers. Oh, Crunch Taters. I think that's what they're called. So he's calling out to Buzz, like, hey, I'm going through all your cool stuff. Then he's seen a picture of his girlfriend. Like, Buzz, your girlfriend, woof. Yeah, actually, that's a picture of a boy in a wig. Because the director was not going to do that to poor some, some poor girl. Like, hey, I need you to shoot, take a picture of you so you can be this kid's ugly girlfriend or something. Like, yeah, they wouldn't do that. A lot of Chicago Bulls, like, product placement, like, stuff. Then he looks at the wall, and there is Buzz's BB gun, which he decides to use to uh, take shots at little uh, sports action figures that go down the laundry chute as he hits them. So then he decides to make a big fucking mess, because we see the counter has got stuff oozing all over it. It's got ice cream. It's got marshmallows and maraschino cherries, Hershey's chocolate, Ready Whip. Holy shit. Ew, that, may, that kid is not even going to clean that up. There's going to be ants there. Ugh. So Kevin decides, well, no one's here. I may as well just uh, pop in this video, a <laughs> VCR. And there's a couple of movies here. There is something, of a music video of the Rolling Stones and also one of Bruce Springsteen. But he's putting in Angels with Filthy Souls, the one movie that Uncle Frank wouldn't let him watch. So this movie is some old black and white thing. It's not even a real movie. It's something was made for this movie specifically. It's about this detective that comes in and says, I was working with some guy. He told me to come here and get money from you. And then the guy's like, well, too bad. So or what do you say something about him? The guy's not here. He's taking a shower. I'll have him call you when he gets out. He's like, well, what about the money? And the guy behind the desk is like, what money? And... The detective's like, well, he said, you know, he, I get 10%. And he's like, well, so-and-so is not here anymore. I'm in charge. It's like, here, I'm, he ends up just shooting the fucking guy. And just loading him in with bullets. Riddling his body with bullets. Kevin, of course, freaks out as he's eating his ice cream sundae that luckily he's got a napkin because it would be all over that that white sweater. This ice cream sundae, oh my gosh, there's like 
six scoops of ice cream and big marshmallows and he's just shoving it all piling it into his mouth and I'm like oh my gosh he is gonna have the worst ice cream headache and stomach ache he's gonna be puking that up later so when the guy ends up shooting that guy a billion times Kevin pauses it why don't you just stop it and turn it off he's like oh my mom mom so that's when Kate wakes up and then she's got this deja vu it's like mother's intuition like looking through her pocketbook something is I've forgotten something I don't know what it is but I've forgotten it and dad's over there he's reading a book called nobody's angel I don't know it's got to be a western or something but she's like gosh what are we forgetting so Peter kind of turns to her like you know we left in such a hurry that's probably why you're a little frazzled and she's like did I turn off the coffee and he's like no I did that then she's like, oh, did you lock up the house? And he's like, uh, yeah. Then she says, did you close the garage? And he's like, that's it. That's what I forgot to do. Forgot to close the garage. That's exactly it. And she's like, no, no, that, that can't be it. He's like, well, what else could we be forgetting? And then she just kind of lays back for a second and then boom, hits her. And she screams out Kevin's name. I'm not going to do that because that would be embarrassing. So we get to one of this this fun scene that everyone who's seen this movie is familiar with, with Kevin taking his little bobsled sled, setting it up at the top of the stairs to go down the stairs. And it's kind of funny because I got the idea to do this from this movie when I was probably about 10. And we didn't have stairs in our house, really. I mean, we had some that went from the top of the, you know, the house in the basement, but we had some outside from our porch, you know, these, uh, cement steps that went down kind of like, you know, Kevin's steps. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try it. I did that a couple times. I mean, it kind of like, uh, ruined the bottom of the sled a little bit. I mean, it was a plastic sled that I had. It was a plastic one. So it would just, every time I did it, the stone would kind of wear away at the bottom of the sled, but it was still fun. I love the camera angle from where he's sitting there atop of it. He's all set. To, he's dressed up in his hat, coat, mittens, gloves, scarf. And the way he kind of, like, holds it there for a second. And then the camera is, like, angling down the stairs. Almost like when you get to the top of a roller coaster and you know that it's going to go down in a split second. Yeah, and other people that have reviewed this movie have said the same thing. There's no way in hell that that slab would make it out the door. It would end up hitting the fucking wall. But, luckily, it does go through the doorway, and he gets some fucking air on that board, on that uh, sled, because it pitches in the air over the, totally bypasses the steps, and then he hits the little snowbank that kind of, like, Makes him feel a little weird. Like, oh, he, he kind of hits it and kind of shakes his head. Like, Ooh, dizzy. Now we're back on the plane, and the flight attendant says she talked to the pilot, and there's really nothing that they can do at the moment. They can't turn the plane around, probably because they might be over the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, Frank and Leslie are there. Frank's not really offering any support. And it's just like, 
if she made a big stink about it, if she really, like, got freaked out, I bet they could turn that plane around. I mean, how far are they into that trip? Because that's, like, hours upon hours to get to France. So Frank's like, oh, one time I forgot my reading glasses. And it's like, Frank, shut up. You're not helping. Kate really feels like shit. She's like, I'm a terrible mother. I'm a, the words I said to him, you know, he said he hated his family. I told him he should find a new family. She doesn't say that, but she's got to be thinking, you know, the last things I said to my son were, was not nice at all. And he probably hates me. And he'll probably never want to speak to me again. So back in Chicago, we hear a voiceover of someone saying, five families gone on one block alone. Holy crap. The, everyone on that block must have money that they can travel for the holidays somewhere. Because clearly it's like they're not just going to the store and coming back home. They're like on vacation for the holidays. They went away for the holidays. And the subtitles here say policeman in parentheses. So it's like, yeah, that policeman. Well, you're gonna get a little surprise here. So that policeman is actually a burglar. And he's got his henchman. Uh, the policeman actually, his name is Harry. And his little counterpart here sending in the passenger seat next to him is Marv. So Harry did the role of the policeman. So he checked out these houses for himself. So he pretty much got word of mouth from the people that live at these houses. He's like, all the houses with nobody home. Yep. Have automatic timers on their lights. So he tells Marv, like, all right, I got it all figured out here. As he goes through each house and says, at this time, these lights will come on. And then he says, blah, blah, blah. Th and then this house's lights come on. Then the last one is the McAllister house. And he's like, now this is the one. This is the one that we're going to hit especially this one, because it's got a lot of stuff, fine jewelry, a bunch of other shit. And it's like, this is like, that house is the whole reason he kind of started working the area to begin with. Like, he's like, when, as, for, as soon as they laid my eyes on this house, I wanted it. So we're going to hear more about that later. But he said, he calls it the silver tuna, and before subtitles, I didn't know what the fuck he was saying. I thought he said silver duna. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, Harry? So Marv calls the McAllister house, it's very G. And Harry's like, very G, huh? <laughs> it's loaded. It's got lots of top flight goods. What the fuck does that mean? Stereos, VCRs, toys. Oh, toys. Marv says toys. Mar uh, Harry says, probably looking at some very fine jewelry, possible cash hoard. Odd marketable securities. What the fuck does this mean? I don't know. Maybe it means that the family's, McAllister's are like in stocks and bonds. He thinks the family's a cash hoard. You really think that dad is going to have cash piled in his fucking mattress? Come the hell on. So the house is dark and... Kevin's uh, fallen asleep to watching the How the Grinch Stole Christmas cartoon. Not the movie with Jim Carrey. <laughs> that movie's terrible in my mind. 
So Harry drives the van right up to the house. Actually, the van has on it okay, like, plumbing service or something. But he drives it right up to the fucking house. It's like, they're going to hit right then and there. They're going to hit that house. They're going to break in right away. Oh, they're actually backing up to where the garage is because they're going to hit it from the back. Okay. So Kevin wakes up to this noise of people skulking outside the windows because he sees their shadows on the wall. Like the Christmas lights outside the the windows are kind of producing a glow that kind of shows their shadows on the wall. Kevin's freaked out. He's like, what the hell is this? So he starts turning on every single light on that uh, first floor. So that's when um, Marv is like, well, wait, I thought you said that they were in Paris, that they're gonna be, they weren't going to be home. Then nobody's home. And Harry turns to Marvel. I was told they weren't going to be home. What the hell? So Marvel's like, all right, well, we need to get the hell out of here before somebody fucking sees us. Oh, I see. They went right to the basement. They're going to come up from the basement and go up the stairs. So Kevin quickly zips his ass over to where the light would be at the, at the uh, basement door there and flicks that on fast. And then that's when Marvel was like, all right, we got to get out of here because you said they... We're going to be there, and someone just turned on a light from inside. So they leave. Kevin is freaked the fuck out as we find him underneath his parents' bed. And he is, like, breathing really heavy. He's literally really shooken, like, oh, man. But then he's like, well, wait a minute. I can't be afraid. I'm the man of the house. As he climbs out from underneath, he's like, all right, I'm going to face these bastards head on. And he comes out of the damn house as the door shuts behind him. He's like, hey, hey, where are you guys? I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid anymore. Then Marley comes up with his shovel and his salt can. Doesn't say anything. Just kind of skulks at Kevin like, guy, if you don't want people to be afraid of you, how about say something? I kind of thought it would be funny. Like, what if Kevin, like, shut the, 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 the door shut behind him in the front of the house? And what if that locked his ass out of the house? He's like, oh, fuck, I'm locked out of the house. <laughs> oh, that'd be fucking screwy. He'd be screwed. So Marley does not say anything to Kevin. He's like, and Kevin just screams in his face. Like, oh, my God, scary man that kills people. Because Buzz had to go and tell him that story about this guy is a murderer. He killed people, his family, the whole block of people. Shit. Oh, no wonder he's scared of him. And the guy doesn't even say anything. He just looked all bug-eyeing, skulky, creepy looking. Well, the McAllisters have finally made it to the France airport as they're all rushing with their carry-ons and everything to get to a payphone. Payphones. Remember those? I remember payphones. So Kate is in such a hurry to try to get a hold of somebody that she yanks it out of this poor woman's hands like, hey, give me the goddamn phone. It's an emergency. This lady speaks French. She doesn't know what the hell you're saying to her. And now you're just giving Americans a bad rap. You're making this lady think that all Americans are assholes, and they're not, but... Way to go, lady. I mean, Kate, like, rips that damn phone right out of that woman's hand. She's like, who is this lady? Why is she shouting in my face? And why is she, like, forcibly ripping this phone out of my hand? I'm talking to, like, a family member. And one of the Kate's daughters has a nerve to say, please, our brother's home alone. That lady doesn't know what you're talking about. So while on the phone, she's uh, Kate's going to get a hold of the police department. And she says, here, kids, here's my purse. 
grab change, call everybody you know, try to get somebody that can go over to the house and find out what's going on with Kevin while I call the cops that are in our town. So she gets a hold of the police department in her town and says that my son is home alone. I want someone to go to the house and check on him. So uh, the woman who answers the phone of the police department hands her over to Family Crisis, who's like going through all these, you know, like, is your, has your son ingested poison? Has he hurt himself? And Kate's like, I have no idea. I'm not there. I don't know what. My son could be dead for all I know. And then she's like, I just want someone to go to the house and check on him to make sure he's all right. And then the guy's like, you want us to go to your house to make sure he just to check on him. Like, who the fuck else is going to do it? They can't do it. They're in France. So the police is the next best option. They don't seem to understand he is eight years old. He could be hurt. He could be lying dead somewhere in the house. I mean, these cops, they are not sensitive to her at all. Although they're probably going to send CPS out. Like, oh, you left your child home alone? Well, you know, I'm going to call CPS. They're going to take your kid away. And you're going to have an investigation. Cops are going to arrest you when you come back to Chicago, by the way. So the lady gets back on the lady cop gets on the phone with her says don't worry we'll say send a cop out to your house to check on your kid. She's like thank you fuck. So she gets off the Kate gets off the phone with her and she's kind of looking around like did you guys have any luck with any getting a hold of anybody? And Leslie is like no I'm sorry nothing but a bunch of answering machines everyone's out for the holidays everyone apparently has money to travel for the holidays somewhere. So then Kevin is hiding under the covers on his parents' bed while we got a cop out there. The lights, the lights are all on. And they don't think, they probably think, well, it's just automatic timers. You know, they have the lights on for a certain period of time to give the impression that, you know, people are home. Like, seriously? Is there nothing else they could have done? So this cop is like, you know, the house looks secure. Tell them to count their kids again. Like, no! She knows how many kids she's fucking got. She's missing one of them. Guy, you are, cop, you are no fucking help. I'd sue them. I would sue them when I get home. So, while Kate and everyone was using the phones, she comes over to Peter, who is at the counter trying to get, you know, a ticket to be able to get home. You know, he's like, can't you just bump somebody or something like that? And, And the Lady, the lady at the airport counter is like, you know, I'm sorry, we, we can't do that. And Kate comes up to him and she's like, I haven't had any luck. Have you had luck trying to get a flight home? He's like, no, unfortunately, they can't work with me and this and that. You know, everything's booked to, to, to anywhere. You can't get anywhere because everyone's traveling for the holidays. So the reception... Uh, Airport lady, I'm sorry guys, um, she says, you know, I can try to get you on a standby, you never know, someone might not be able to catch their flight home, so, um, I mean, that sounds good to Kate, I mean, but Peter's like, you know, honey, you're exhausted, the kids are exhausted, we've been on this flight for over 10 hours, you know, let's just go over to my brother's and we can just deal with the situation there. So Kate is like, no, I'm not going anywhere unless it's on an airplane to get home to our son. 
So they agree, like, okay, if you want to stay there, get on, hopefully get on a standby, and I'll take the kids and everybody, and we'll go there, and we'll just kind of, you know, reconvene the, there. So back in the house, Kevin is just taking a shower, and he's combing out his hair, and then he gives us a little, like, oh, I, um... Took extra special care cleaning out my belly button and between my toes and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, we really need a reprieve of everything you've done. He's like, but I never did that before, but I sort of enjoyed it. I sort of enjoyed, like, picking lint out of my belly button and getting the gross crap between my toes. So I feel extra clean. So now he's got his dad's deodorant, the right guard deodorant. And when he sprays it, he's not even spraying it into his pits. He's spraying it, like, so it's hitting the air. It's just going into the air. But then again, he's probably just following, like, what his dad does in the morning. You know, he's probably seen his dad, like, get ready for work or something in the morning and all that. Oh, he said that he used cream rinse for that just washed shine. Good for you, Kevin. I bet your hair is going to be so soft and manageable. So he's just kind of giving commentary on what he's going to do. He's like, I can't seem to find my toothbrush. Well, maybe Buzz probably, like, cleaned the toilet with it and chucked it or something. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to pick one up when I go out today. And then he uses the Brute. Um, stuff. My dad used the same thing, and he kind of, you know, it's aftershave. You put it on your face after you shave. So he's probably been watching his dad a lot, because then he sticks his hands to his face and does the famous Macaulay Culkin scream, which, that's probably what his dad would do. He put that stuff to his face and kind of like, ah, my face is burning because I just shaved, and then he put aftershave on. So it doesn't burn when you put it on if you haven't shaved. But he doesn't know that. He's just mimicking his father. So Kevin goes into Buzz's room. He's like, well, got to get my brother's life savings. I know his money is up there. So he proceeds to climb on these shelves that are attached to the wall. My sister had these type of wooden shelves, too. They're really, really thin, and they can only really hold so much. So they're not meant to support a 60-pound boy. So what happens? Puts all his weight on it. Boom. They all crash down. And he falls with these broken shards of board. Not to mention what else falls. All the stuff that's on the shelves falls with it. And also, Buzz's tarantula. That, that, um, whatever. What the fuck am I? Hold on. The tarantula's glass enclosure does not even break at all. But it does tip to the side because we see the tarantula get tarantula get out. Kevin just shakes his head from dizziness like, oh, all these boards fell on me. I don't have a concussion. And he grabs the money out. He's like, okay, Buzz's life savings. What do you got? Six bucks here? That'll work. And I'm watching it now and oh my gosh, there's like a board like pressed against his head with other stuff. How does he, now? how is he not unconscious or at least have a concussion? So there's a lot of wadded up bills that um, Kevin grabs, and it looks like it's mainly just a bunch of ones. Is that really enough to, I'm sure it's enough to get a toothbrush, but I guess he also eventually later is going to get some stuff from the store, you know, milk and other, you know, food so he can eat. So as Kevin exits the house, uh, 
Harry and Marv, I guess, were sleeping in the van. That's nice and comfortable. I'm sure they didn't freeze. But they see this little kid here, and that's when Marv is like, you know the McAllisters? You said they were uh, away, right? And they're like, yeah, it's like, there's just this little kid here. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, that hasn't happened yet. What happens is uh, Kevin leaves the house, and he sees that van parked across the street in the Murphy's driveway, and he's like, well, I thought that they went to Florida. Well, Marv and Harry are having a great time as we see they've opened all these Christmas gifts. Why the hell would you have these gifts if you're going to Florida for Christmas? Why wouldn't you take these gifts with you? So they got a remote control car, a fire truck. Marv's making a fucking racket getting all these uh, valuables and uh, knickknacks and shit. He, oh my god, he went to town just knocking over lamps, getting all this stuff out of the uh, china hutch and everything. What the fuck? And Harry's even, Marv, we're trying to be uh, incognito here. Why are you making such a fucking noise? I know there's like nobody here on this block, but please keep it the fuck down. So while they're there, they hear uh, the phone ring, and it's Peter calling the Murphys, just saying, hey, we're in France, you know, our son's there, home alone, and he says, if you know anything, just, you know, here's the number, you can call me in France. Yeah, they're going to call France and get a high-ass phone bill. Oh, so he has called before. He's like, okay, we're still in Paris at my brother's apartment. So he gives him the number and everything so that way he can call him. Yeah, I can't say... They're not there for one. These neighbors don't talk to each other. Otherwise, he would have known that, oh, my neighbors are in Florida right now. So this calling them is going to be for naught. Marv turns to Harry. He's like, hey, the house we were at, that was the McAllister's, right? And Harry's like, yeah. Marv's like, you're right. They were gone. We're going to hit that house tonight, aren't we? He's like, hell yes, we are. So now we move on to this, what looks like a Hallmark store, because Kevin comes up with the toothbrush and he asks the most ridiculous question, is this approved by the American, this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? All you gotta do is look on the back for the large ADA, American Dental Association symbol, and you would be able to tell him. So she looks at it quickly, just glances at it, like, oh, nope, doesn't say. Well, then it's not approved by the American Dental Association then. So she pretty much is like, hey, so-and-so, herb, whatever, I got a question about a toothbrush. You can come up here. You need two people to look at the back of a fucking toothbrush and see if it's approved by the American Dental Association. If it's not on the back, it isn't. So then we hear the jingle of the door, and we see these big, tall, black slicker boots. Just the boots. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Did What's-His-Face Ben Willis from I Know What You Did Last Summer and I Still Know What You Did Last Summer make an appearance here? Because all I'm seeing is the boots. But no, actually, it's um, Old Man Marley. I don't know what the hell his first name is, but he comes up, freaks the hell out of Kevin because he's got his hand bandaged and wrapped in a blood-soaked bandage and just plops it right on the fucking counter. And he's got he's like, I gotta buy some band-aids. It doesn't even say anything, though. He just comes up to Kevin. Kevin's freaked the fuck out. And I would be, too. It's like, sir, please. Please take your hand, your blood-soaked bandaged hand, off of my counter, okay? There's... Oh, my gosh. It's like, it's the 90s. We're just coming off the AIDS epi epidemic. Please. 
think of other people. So the guy that comes up to, I don't know if he's a manager or what, she's like, do you know this toothbrush is approved by the American Dental Association? He's like, I don't know. It's like, yeah, you didn't even fucking look. Hey, look at all that stack of Kodak film behind them. <laughs> so Kevin, she is freaked out by old man Marley. He starts backing away from the counter and the, the lady at the counter is like, oh, hon, you can pay for that here. As he starts to slowly back away, like, no, you need to pay for that toothbrush. Kevin's out the fucking door in a flash. And she's like, Jimmy, stop that boy. And Jimmy, the bagger or whatever, runs after her like, hey, get your ass back here and pay for that toothbrush. So luckily, Jimmy sees a cop like, hey, there's a shoplifter. Go get him. And this cop is like, oh, really? I have to do that? Okay. So I'm come back here. So, so he starts running after Kevin across this pond of ice where every one of their cousins is either ice skating or fucking playing hockey. And Kevin, like, slides on his knees through this guy's legs. I'm surprised he get, didn't get hit in the face with a fucking hockey stick. And that uh, big police officer guy ends up getting knocked down by somebody. He's like, ah, oh, fuck it. It's just a fucking toothbrush. What is it, a buck ninety-nine? Yeah, that's no real big loss. So Kevin's stressed as hell now as he's walking home. His head, he's doing the walk of shame, like, I'm a criminal now. I stole a toothbrush. Oh, poor Kevin. So it's like, well, then I hope you don't ever go back into that store because they'll recognize you. And back at the Murphy house, um, Marv decides to do what he always does when they rob a house, and that's flood the house by stopping up the sinks and having the water running. Then he runs, he heads out to the van, throws his bag of loot in the back, and Harry's like, you did it again, didn't ya? And Marv is just chuckling, like, <laughs> and then Harry's like, you know, I told you not to do that. We don't need that kind of heat on us. And Marv's like, oh, don't tell me not to do that. I'll do it if I want to do it. So they're just, you know, he, Harry puts the van into drive, and they're just kind of moseying along down the driveway, and they don't see Kevin pop out of nowhere, who's just walking with his head down, not paying attention. Almost gets hit by that damn van. Luckily, Harry is able to slam on the fucking brakes mere inches from Kevin's face, that grill is. And then Kevin just, like, Starts, you know, walking, but then Harry's like, boy, what are you doing? All right? You almost get hit, but I almost fucking killed you. All right, you gotta watch out for traffic. And then Kevin's like, oh, I'm sorry. But then the gold tooth um, that the police officer, who was played by Harry in the beginning of the movie, flashed. Kevin sees that again this time. So he's like, oh, shit, the cop. I just stole a fucking toothbrush. This guy's gonna arrest me. So he's like, all right, I gotta get the hell out of here. So he starts chugging down the sidewalk. And Harry and Marv are like, well, Harry's like, I don't like the way that kid looked at me. And Marv's like, well, what about it? You know, have you seen him before? And Harry's like, I visited a hundred homes today and saw a hundred thousand fucking children. They all look alike to me. I love how Marv says Santa doesn't visit the funeral homes, little buddy. Okay, well, if you guys would have hit me, you would have been uh, arrested for murder, so that would have been more on you, not me. I'm eight years old. I, I can't control what I do, but you're an adult. So, in such a creepy way, they decide to follow Kevin to find out what house he goes into. Yeah, this isn't creepy as hell. So Kevin just starts running. He's like, 
are they? I know they're following me. It's like, I can feel it. So he takes off, and they're following him, and luckily Kevin is able to find a nativity scene and hide under, like, a blanket or something with a staff. So he's pretending he's, like, one of the shepherds or wise men or whatever. Harry and Marv are like, oh, do you think he went into that church? And one of the other one's like, well, I ain't going in there. He's like, huh, no, I'm not going into church. I'm a robber. Why would I want to do that? That's not, that doesn't... Yeah, uh, all of a sudden they have morals and beliefs now because they rob they rob houses, but they can't they can't go into a church. So once they drive away, Kevin like flips off the the blanket or whatever and says, you know, that's it. When those guys come back, I'm gonna be ready for them. And he sure as hell is. He's got that house all. He's got you know those mannequins from down in the basement all set up so that way he's making it look like there's a party at the house. When Harry and Marv drive up. They're like, well, wait a minute. I thought you said that they went away. Did they come back? And Harry's like, from Paris? Are you kidding me? No, they didn't. But then Marv's like, you know, we got to get out of here before somebody sees us. Really? No one on that street alone is there. Nobody? They're all fucking gone for the holiday season? Come on. I find that hard to believe. So Kevin is like, Operating all of these, like, mannequins and stuff by strings as he's kind of dancing around to rocking around the Christmas tree. And we have a uh, Michael Jordan from the Chicago Bulls. It's like a cardboard cutout that's actually attached to a train that's kind of going around in a loop around the house. So that kid, this boy is clever. He knows how to, like, think on his feet at the last minute. And I'm just thinking, okay, all these mannequins and there's, like, fabric and a sewing machine in the basement. So I'm thinking the mom might be, like, a uh, fashion designer or something. So now we head over to France to uh, Peter's brother Rob's apartment. And the family is watching It's a Wonderful Life in French. And the kids are, like, bored. It's like, this is so boring. So Frank comes out with a platter of shrimp and cocktail sauce as I'm guessing Rob's wife, somebody or other, I don't know what her name is, is like, here, or, um, Frank's like, here, kids, you want some shrimp? They're like, ooh, shrimp, yeah, don't mind if I do. And Rob's wife is like, Frank, those are for later. Frank, you're not listening to me. Frank, you really shouldn't be giving those to the kids. Those are for the adults. What kids like shrimp? I mean, I don't know. I like shrimp. I think it's good. So Peter is on the phone with the operator asking, do you speak English? And the operator is speaking French. They Wouldn't they have an English translator, maybe? I would think for a situation like that, they might. I mean, what if there are people that need to get a hold of somebody? They get a really cool shot of the uh, Eiffel Tower in the background. That's pretty sweet. I like that. So, um... Uh, Peter is trying out some French, like, trying to converse with the person on the other, the operator. Finally, he gets so fed up, he's like, I'm looking for my son! Have you seen him? No! Oh my gosh! Why are you yelling at the damn operator? They didn't lose your son, you did! They didn't forget your child, you did! Don't get on their ass! So Frank comes up to uh, Peter and says, uh, have any luck? And Peter's like, well, I can't find anybody. They're all gone. Sh- They've all gone shopping. Nobody's home for the holidays. 
All right, they got to come home sometime. Seriously? Not every single person out there flew to Florida or wherever for the holidays. So I believe it's Megan who openly complains to Buzz, who's reading a French newspaper. Like, here, Kevin's stuck at home. We're stuck rotting in this stupid apartment. And then she kind of voices her concern about Kevin. Like, you're not all worried that something might have happened to him? And he's like, no. And I'll tell you what. Well, no, he's like, well, the little trout could use a few days in the real world. Like, he's fucked up so many times that he really, he's caught it in the butt this time. And he lists his reasons for why he's not that lucky that something bad would happen to Kevin. Well, here are the reasons. A, I'm not that lucky. Two, we have smoke detectors. And D, we live in the most boring street in the United States of America. Don't you mean on the most boring street in America? Where nothing even remotely dangerous will ever happen, period. So we get little Nero's paying a visit to the McAllister home, hits that damn statue again. They need to just get that statue the hell out of there. I'll put it somewhere else. They can hit that uh, um, planter out front. So he goes to the front with the pizza, which says, take the pizza to the back. That's where I'll be picking up the pizza. So Kevin decides to have some fun with this guy as he plays that damn Angels with Filthy Souls video. And he's like, and the guy, old man's like, how is that? What the hell is that? And the guy's like, uh, it's Little Nero's. And he's like, what do you want? And the delivery driver's like, I got your pizza. He's like, how much do I owe ya? And he's like, uh, always like, leave it on the doorstep and get the hell out of here. And the delivery driver's like, well, sir, you do have to pay for your pizza. And he's like, is that a fact? How much do I owe ya? Oh, the delivery driver's like, okay, but what about the money? And the guy's like, what money? He's like, well, you have to pay for your pizza, sir. So he tells him it'll be 11.80. So did Kevin get a large or an extra large? This seems a bit much for a medium. So Kevin drops the money outside the doggy door. The total's eleven fifty. He gives him twelve fucking dollars. So you're getting a twenty cent tip, kid guy. So Kevin plays a video through the end where the old guy behind the desk ends up shooting that detective, and this freaks the kid the hell out, the delivery driver the hell out. He's like, "Holy shit! I mean, shot at." So Kevin, after the guy leaves, Kevin opens the door. He's like, "Yes." A cheese pizza just for myself. I'm going to eat it all. So back in, uh, I'm guessing France, the airport, Kate is trying to barter with a senior citizen lady who, she's got a ring, pocket protector, pocket translator, and a bunch of other shit. It's like, oh my. So the old lady is like, hey, dear, um, this lady here is offering us all this stuff. Oh, and the earrings, of course. If we go Friday, if, you know, we give up our seats. I wonder how many people Kate has tried to pull that off and has, um, been rejected every time. So the old man is like, no, no, no. She's got a whole fucking shoebox of earrings. She does not need any more. Let's go, dear. And Kate is, like, pleading with them, please, please, from one mother to another, please, I need to get home to my son. And the old lady is just really, like, sympathetically, like, oh, please, dear, can we just... And the old man is like, fine, yes, take our fucking seats. I mean, did the lady, old lady say she was a mother? I mean, because Kate is really trying to play on that sympathy. Because that's, like, her last card that she can play. 
So back at home, Kevin is feeling really bad as he's sleeping in his parents' bed. He's watching Johnny Carson. He pulls out this um, big 8x10 portrait of the family, and he's like, guys, if you come back, I promise I'll never be a butthead again. I will be on my best behavior. Then he kisses the photo and then goes to bed. So we get another shot of the bathroom. Kevin's in just a towel and he's mouthing the words to I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. So he's going to go to the store now because he's got to get some stuff. Oh, and by the way, we do see that tarantula kind of coming out from behind the toilet in the bathroom. Yikes. So it is still there. It's still alive. It's going to come in handy later. So Kevin is kind of going through the aisles and everything like that. He's getting his stuff, he's getting his milk, getting his whatever. And then he heads to the checkout counter. Let me tell you about this dang checkout lady. Oh boy, is she a nosy, nosy bitch. Already, as he's pulling into the lane with his cart, she's eyeing him suspiciously, like, who is this little boy? Why are you pushing a cart? Where are your parents? So Kevin's got quite a loot here. He's got some toilet paper, a four-pack of toilet paper. He's got some big Wonder Bread, Kraft macaroni and cheese, um, Snuggle, um, I think it's fabric softener. He's got some uh, clear Reynolds wrap, saran wrap. And one of those Stouffer's dinners, he's got a thing of Tide and some milk. I wonder what the total is going to be. Kevin's, like, looking through a Woman's Day magazine as he asks her, are these TV dinners any good? He's like, eh. She's like, I don't know. I haven't had them. He's like, ah, hell, I'll give them a whirl. Then she's like, shows him the army men. He's like, for the kids. Actually, it's for me. Oh, there's a Tropicana uh, orange juice. So he's like, hey, I got a coupon for that. It was in the paper this morning. 1983 is the total. Oh, my gosh. I bet that stuff will be, like, a $50 total at least for all of that stuff with milk. Actually, he only gets like a half gallon of milk, so he's just getting it really for himself. I mean, at this point, he probably still thinks his parents and family have disappeared, that they're never going to come back, so he's got to take care of himself here. So she takes the money from him, and then she's like, are you all here? Are you here all by yourself? Like, bitch, that's none of your fucking business. So he kind of is like, ma'am, I'm eight years old. You think I would be here alone? He's like, I don't think so. So then she starts to interrogate him saying, where's your mom? He's like, she's in the car. Where's your dad? He's at work. What about your brothers and your sisters? He's like, well, I'm an only child. Then she asks, where do you live? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't ask that. That is not your business. This lady... It's not your business to ask those questions. Thank goodness he didn't tell her where she he lived, because she'd probably send Child Protective Services out to his house to take him away to a foster home. So when she asks, where do you live? He's like, I can't tell you that. And she's like, why not? I think, why the fuck do you think why not? And he's, he's like, well, you're a stranger. I'm not going to give you that information. So she bags this stuff up and two then ask plastic bags. Those should have at least been either double bagged or he should have had at least two other bags with him. Even if he was carrying it, that stuff home. It's like that milk could have broke, could have spilled all over that sidewalk. You know, it's just like now he's got a, he's not even, he's got bare hands. Where are his gloves? His hands will be icicles. And not to mention this scarf he's wearing 
one side of it goes all the way down past his knee. Oh my, that is like an adult-sized scarf, or a scarf for the Funkin' uh, Bumble from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's a scarf that would fit him. So when this these bags break, he just looks at the camera and is like, what the fuck? Why me? Really? Really? Because I wouldn't tell you where I live, lady, you gave me shitty bags? Thank you. So we got Kevin doing a little load of laundry, and that dang furnace is all like, like a big fucking monster. And Kevin is like, I'm not having your shit. Shut the hell up. And he just goes back up the stairs like, I ain't scared of your ass. So now we get back to mom. We get back to Kate here, and she has flown. Oh, we're going to find out, because she's at the ticket counter, and this guy's like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Yeah, he tells her everything is full. And she's like, really? Everything is full? He's like, I am very sorry, but it is Christmas Eve. Yes, because everyone and their god-dang cousin is traveling on fucking Christmas Eve. Bullshit. They're going to be where they need to be before that. You can't tell me they're all traveling on Christmas fucking Eve. So she's like, how about another airline? I mean, because she's with American Airlines right now. So he starts typing. He's like, oh, nope, sorry, can't do it. Nope. So he says, there's nothing available. May I help you get a hotel in the city? So he says, tomorrow afternoon we can get you a flight to Chicago. And she's like, I can't wait that long. (sighs) Really? You can't wait till tomorrow afternoon? It's tomorrow afternoon. What are you going to miss? I mean, I know, I know, she wants to get home to her baby. She wants to get home to her son. I understand that. But sometimes you have to wait. I know you've been to France. You've been to, we're going to find out all the damn places she has fucking been in a second here. Because she is like ragged as hell. She hasn't fucking slept. She's fucking delirious. Because she is going on and on and on. I mean, the guy is a nice guy. I mean, he says, you know, we're doing I'm sorry, ma'am, we're doing absolutely everything we can. He basically is like, we we do have like a line forming, so I do kind of got to, you know, get through them. So, you know, it's like, I'm not ignoring you, but let me get these other people through here and we can kind of, you know, go further over your, and see what we can do to help you out. So Kate kind of backs off. She kind of, you know, is off to the side and then she's like, goes... You know, with this lady that comes up to the counter, she's like, go ahead. I'm in your way. I'm sorry. You have people, places to go, people to see. Then she's like, you've got a ticket there. That's good. And then she, like, excuse me. Then she gets right in this guy's fucking face. She tells the ticket guy, I've been awake for almost 60 hours. I'm tired and I'm dirty. Yes, I'm sure she probably smells like nastiness because she has not showered. She's too stressed out to shower. She's been trying to get a damn flight home and trying to barter everything she owns she's probably even given up her house for collateral just to try to get a flight home by now so she says i've been from chicago to paris to dallas to where the hell am i now so he says scranton so that's what scranton pennsylvania i believe so she she gets angry. she's like i am trying to get home to my eight-year-old son and now that i'm this close you're telling me it's hopeless He's like, he's putting up his hands like, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I don't, what, what can I do? What can I do to help you? And she's like, no, wait, this is Christmas, damn it. The season of perpetual hope, she says. 
And we got John Candy over here who plays Gus Malinsky. He's watching all this from afar like, okay, this lady is going to blow her dang top. And if this were today, her ass would be tackled to the ground, probably handcuffed and removed from the building. Because security's not going to put up with it. Airports put up with a lot. People put up with a lot of shit from people. A lot of shit. People are in a hurry. They're angry. They're in a rush. They say things they don't wouldn't normally say, or they in they act like in ways they normally wouldn't act because they're in a hurry and they're trying to get to where they go, and nothing else matters but where they gotta go. So I commend the airport people because they put up with a lot of stuff, a lot of anger, a lot of confusion to make sure that everyone gets their stuff, they get where they need to go in a fashionable time. But sometimes things happen that are out of our control and out of their control. So we have to respect that. <laughs> I love how she says, I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. If I have to sell the soul, sell my soul to the devil himself, I will get home to my son. <laughs> this guy, I love his reaction. It's like he is trying to be as polite as humanly possible. Finally, Gus has had enough of seeing this. And he's like, okay, I have to intervene with this because she is going to go. She's already full blown Fruit Loops here. So he's like, okay, excuse me. Just let me, let me take her. I will take her and I will handle this. Just excuse us. So she's being pulled along by this Gus guy. She does not know him. She's like, um, who, what are you? And then he goes on about how he's the polka king of the Midwest. You know, he's got a polka band. You've probably heard of me. We're very big in, um, Sheboygan and this and that. Because she's from Chicago. He's like, no, no, we're big in Sheboygan, though. We sold a lot of records. Like 600 and some copies. So he, he kind of tells her that his dilemma was his band. They're trying to rent a truck so they can get home to, like, uh, Milwaukee. He's, and, she, and she's like, he's like, you know, you got to get home to see your kid. We will be more than happy to give you a ride. She's like, seriously? She's been met with so many roadblocks. She's just surprised. Like, seriously, you will be willing to give me a ride? And he's like, yeah, you know, you got to get home and see your kid. He doesn't know her. He doesn't know her story. All he knows is she's got to get home to her child. So this is where we're back home now. Kevin has got to get himself a Christmas tree. It's Christmas Eve. He's got to get a Christmas tree. And luckily he just, you know, rips up a little spruce tree that's by his, a little pine tree that's by his house. And Harry and Marv, how have they not frozen to death? How cold is it right now? And, you know, or then in Chicago, Christmas Eve, 1990. It's got to be cold. And it's not like they got the heater running, the vehicle running the whole night to keep them warm. So they're sleeping on their dang van. And Harry wakes up and he sees this going on. He's like, hey, I think we're getting scammed by a kindergartner. It's like, no, he lives there. He probably doesn't want you coming in and taking their stuff. His stuff. You scammed my ass. Oh, he just cuts the top off of one of the spruce trees out there. So he's got the decorations. He's putting the ornaments on. The lights are on. And it looks kind of, it's a nice looking little tree. It's a little tree that's probably no bigger than he is. So in the ornament that he places on the tree, in it, he sees a shadow in the window and he turns. And he, he's like, something was there. There's a face in the window. So he turns towards 
the um outside of the room um like he's calling for his dad like hey dad can you come here and help me harry sees this turns to marvin says you know that kid is there by himself right there's he's home by himself there's no parents like we're gonna hit this house that child be damned all right we'll just we'll knock him out because we're gonna take this house he's not gonna be a problem Marvin's just kind of telling Harry, it's like, I really don't know if this is a good idea. Not with that child there. That is going to be. But Harry's like, no, that kid is not going to stop me. I want this house for years. I wanted to this house because it's so nice. And I'm sure the stuff in there is going to be even more nice. He's been in that house. He poses the police officer. He knows what's in the house. So he just tells Marv to like chill his ass we're gonna go grab a bite to eat once it's dark we're gonna come back we're gonna do our thing it's gonna be fine unbeknownst to them Kevin is listening out the window and he hears all this going on he's freaked he's like mom please come home I need you it's like where are you mom he's scared to death this kid is like he's being put into a situation that I'm sure he doesn't want to be in he's eight so we get a fun little uh, moment with uh, the Poke King and his buddy, his band buddies, and they're all kind of playing Christmas tunes. And Kate's just, you know, uh, she's just having to, you know, listen to it because, you know, they're giving her a free ride to, Ch- ride to Chicago to get home. So she's got to kind of put up with it. And uh, John Candy is Gus is like, here, you want to try this oboe? You want to try this uh, clarinet, whatever? And she's like, no, 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 I don't want to try it, please. So Kevin decides to go visit Santa Claus and, like, you know, he wants to get his family back. And he thinks, maybe if I ask Santa, maybe he can, you know, make it happen. So he goes and we see this girl elf, girl dresses an elf, come out and says, hey, is, he says, hey, is Santa Claus here? And she's like, no, sorry, but, you know, he's getting in his car. If you, if you run real fast, I think you can get him. And then he looks at her her shoes. He's like, oh, those shoes are wild. I love your shoes. He's like, thanks. So the guy dressed as Santa is kind of, he's a bumbling dude. You know, he's smoking a ciggy. He's bitching about the fact that his fucking car's got a goddamn parking ticket on it. He's like, really? Parking ticket for Santa Claus? What's next? Ravy shots for the Easter Bunny? Probably. So Kevin's like, hey, Santa, Santa, wait, hold up. And the guy quickly tosses a cigarette, puts his beard up. And Kevin's like, come on, you don't have to do that. I know you're not the real Santa, all right? The guy's like, well, what what makes you say that out of curiosity as he puts his beard up to his face? Kevin's like, I'm eight years old. I am old enough to know how this works. But I know that you work for him, so maybe you can relay a message for me. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And Kevin's like, all right. I just want, I don't want any presents this year. I just want my mom and dad and family back. And, you know, if Santa has time, he can bring back my Uncle Frank. It it really is no big deal on that. So, Kevin turns to go, and Santa's like, well, wait, wait, wait. I don't have any candy canes because, you know, my elf took the rest of them home to her boyfriend. So, here, I got some Tic Tacs. Put out your little paw, your little gloved paw there. Puts a few in there. And says, all right, don't spoil your dinner now. And Kevin's like, all right, cool, thank you. And then he leaves. So Kevin's kind of walking home at night. It's dark. You know, he sees all these houses, the really nice houses, by the way, you know, all decked out in lights and garland and whatever. And 
you know, he sees these families coming up the driveway to the families that are opening the doors and they all embrace. He's feeling homesick. He wants his family back. It's like, it's Christmas Eve. I should be doing this with my family. So Kevin decides, he passes by the church. He's like, you know what? I'm feeling kind of down. I think I need to go into the church. He hears that music and he can't, he can't not go in. That music, that beautiful hymnal music, Christmas music, is calling his name. He's like, all right, going in. So he's walking in, loosens up his scarf, pulls his head out, his head to be respectful, and then he sits down. Looks around, looks to his left. Who does he see? Old man Marley is there. Kevin doesn't scream. He just opens his mouth in shock, like, oh my gosh. The Shovel Slayer is here in church. So Marley actually does come up to Kevin and just asks, can I sit down? And Kevin was like, well, what else am I going to do? I'm not going to scream in your face because we're in church. So he says, yeah, he just nods silently. Sure, he can sit down. And Marley just says, you know, son, when you see me, you, you can say hello. You don't have to scream in my face or anything or run away. And I'd be like, well... Then why don't you say hello to me back instead of skulking around like a, a freaking con, uh, a uh, psychopath with a shovel? <laughs> so Marley says, you know, that's my granddaughter up there, the little redheaded girl. Do you know her? And it's like, um, are you trying to set Kevin up with your granddaughter, sir? <laughs> so Marley does tell Kevin that there are a lot of things going around about me, but none of it is true. So he asked Kevin, have you been a good boy this year? And Kevin says, I think so. And he's like, well, do you swear to it? And Kevin's like, eh, no, I don't. So Marley kind of tells Kevin, you know, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. And Kevin's like, really? It is? So Kevin asks, well, are you feeling bad about yourself? And Marley says, no. And Kevin is kind of like, he, he opens up to him. He's like, you know, I have been kind of a pain lately. And he says, you know, I have said some things I probably shouldn't have. So he admits, you know, I haven't really been all that good, too good this year. Like, eh, well, probably. So he says, you know, I'm kind of upset about it. He's feeling bad, you know. He really likes his family, even though sometimes he says he doesn't. And he tells them he, he hates them and everything like that. He really cares for them. So Marley tells Kevin that, you know, the way you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Deep down, you always love them, but you can forget that you love them. Like, you know, when you get angry, you have disagreements and stuff. And then he proceeds to tell Kevin about how that he and his son, before they moved, before Kevin and his family moved down the block, Marley and his son had a disagreement, and they both said some things, very hateful things, that, you know, the son said, I want to see you. Marley said the same thing, like, I really don't care to see you anymore either. So this has got to hurt the granddaughter, that this frigid relationship between her father and her grandfather. And, you know, Kevin says so. It's like, well, that's got to suck for your granddaughter. And Marley's like, well, I send her a check, you know. Like, a check isn't the same thing, though. Um, Kevin's like, well, I wish my grandparents sent me a check instead of a stupid damn sweater with a fucking bird on the front of it. Like, oh boy. So Marley admits to Kevin that he's afraid that if he tries to talk to his son, that his son is not going to want to talk to him. 
And Kevin admits how he had to make himself go down to the basement to do laundry a couple times, and how he's always been freaked out by the basement. There's a lot of weird stuff, mannequins down there, and the furnace and everything. But once he, you know, had been doing laundry a couple times, he's like, you know, the basement is not that bad, especially in the daytime. I wouldn't go down there at night. <laughs> so Marley's like, okay, buddy, what is your point? And Kevin's like, well, my point is you should call your son. He's like, well, what if he doesn't talk to me? Kevin's like, well, at least then you can stop worrying about it because you're an old man. You're going to give yourself a heart attack from all the stress, right? He does say that tonight he came to hear his granddaughter sing and I can't come and hear her tonight because, you know, the whole feud with his son saying that, you know, I'm not welcome here when my son is here. So Marley said, you know, Kevin, it's been nice talking to you. Oh, I see he's got a Band-Aid on his hand. So he got that cut big, uh, taken care of. Thank goodness. Um, hopefully he put a little Neosporin on it. Help it heal a little faster. So um, as Kevin's putting his head and uh, scarf back on, he says, well, what about you? And Marley's like, well, what about me? He's like, well, you and your son. And Marley's like, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And he's like, Kevin, you need to get on home. So... Marley lives next door to him and has not once said, where is your family, son? Why are you home by yourself? You really shouldn't be home by yourself. Does not ask him that. Doesn't say anything about his family. And he's just like, all right, boy, get on home. It's late. So Kevin checks out that clock and it hits like eight o'clock or whatever. He's like, I got to get my ass home. If I'm going to protect my house, then I got to do it. Rolls out this awesome plan filled with every single area in the house that he thinks the burglars are going to come into. He's got to set up with some type of a trap. So we see him kind of setting stuff up. He's putting his micro machines out at the bottom of the stairs. Then in the basement, he's uh, putting tar on the wooden steps. That's going to be a pain in the fucking ass to get off. We do see occasional glimpses of the tarantula kind of hanging out, walking around, and everything like that. Also... See, what else does he do here? Oh, there, there, he sticks that needle there. Ooh, don't touch that tip of that. And he also runs up to his treehouse here to get uh, that rope from the attic to the treehouse, because that's why he's planning his little escape route. He's really got a lot of stuff going on here. He's putting some glue or, or something on that saran wrap. He's got a, um, one of those, um giant fans propped up on something with a bunch of feathers. So he's got that set up. He's got a bunch of ornaments that are by, right by an open window. So he's expecting, okay, if someone comes through here, boom, they're getting uh, uh, feet full of glass and shit. Because he's basically thinking, okay, someone's going to come from the basement, go up the stairs, and the tar is going to stick to their shoes. Of course, those shoes are going to come off along with the socks. So he's thinking, okay, somebody's going to be coming through that way to get in the window. So let's see what happens. He's got his TV dinner. He's got to have a little something. But that's when the chime rings nine. It's like, all right, well, I guess I'm not eating this food. Time to get my ass in action. As he loads up that BB gun, stands right outside the kitchen door. As he waits for the people to come. That's what they're going to do. They're going to come up that back way there. And they're like, hey, maybe the kid will just let us into the house. Kids are kind of dumb. He might be gullible. 
So then they play off like, hey, it's Santa Claus in itself. <laughs> Let us in, kid. Like, no. But while they're blah, blah, blahing, not paying attention, Kevin's got that uh, little uh, BB gun assault rifle peeking through the doggy door, and he shoots Harry right in the fucking ball sack. Which, oh, Henry is pissed. Or Harry is pissed. I'm sorry, guys. I meant Harry. Um, and he's, like, grabbing his crotch, shouting every dang word, which is mumbled. You can't hear it because this movie's PG. So here, Marv is like, here, let me give it a shot. And he sticks his head through the dang door, the doggy door. What are you hoping to achieve there, here, Marv? Your head is the only thing that's going to barely fit through there. So he's not expecting Kevin to be stretched out on the floor, BB gun aimed straight at the doggy door, hits him right in the fucking face, in the fucking face. Then Marv pulls back in shock, screaming, the little jerk is armed. What did you expect? Seriously? That kid has every right to defend his house from these people. You can't just come into his house thinking you're just gonna, that he's not gonna attempt to defend his house. So Harry gets up, says, all right, you, Marv, you're gonna go down here. I'm gonna try it the front way because he can't be in both places at once. As soon as Harry even takes a step, those steps are icy because Kevin was watering them down with a hose. And he hits, boom, straight on the back. That's going to knock, knock the wind out of you there. Marv's luck isn't any better as he attempts to go down the stairs to the basement entrance and he slips down the stairs, probably fucking up his vertebrae, his spine. Like, boom, 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 boom. Like, ooh, that's gotta hurt. You would not be getting up right away from that. But he does. Magically, he gets up. And he tries to, like, with the crowbar to kind of get his way into the house. But finds out that the door is just unlocked. Yeah, that's not a weird uh, red flag. They're like, huh, it's unlocked. Like, they're expecting me. So Harry grabs a little guardrail to slowly walk up those steps. And, of course, boom, he falls backwards yet again. So here, or Marv is in the basement, goes to turn a light on. That light actually pulls down the hot iron, lands on his face, knocks him to the ground, and all it leaves is a big red iron mark uh, image on his face. Yeah, right. That would leave some burns. So we go back to Harry, and he is just being really careful, going up the steps. Not He's kind of looking through the, uh, the the little window panes on either side of the door. All you have to really do is probably smash those and open the door from that end. But the doorknob is boiling red hot. And he puts his hand there, not realizing it, and it, like, burns that M mark into his hand. Oh my gosh. So he jumps into a snowbank and gets his hand in there to try to cool it down. So of course, just like I said, Marv is heading up the tar-painted stairs. Shoes are off, socks are off, because they are sticking to the tar. And then of course, he's not paying attention and his foot goes through a fucking nail. Oh my gosh, this has got to be the most squeamish scene in this whole movie. Like, oh, oh, oh god. 
So Marv collapses to the floor in agony, screaming in agony at the nail that is now embedded in his foot tissue. And Harry decides to go to, uh, to the other side of the house, which is from the kitchen part, opens the door, and we have a giant blowtorch that is attached to a screen, uh, string that when you open the door, it's going to turn right on. And it burns the top of his head. So with his hat singed to his balding scalp, now his scalp is less, looks like ground beef now, as he goes and dives into another snowbank to um, get his uh, head, uh, the fight, <laughs> put the fire out on top of his head. So Harry's had enough. He, he races, like, slams, hits that door, knocking that blowtorch down. He's like, you little brat, I'm gonna blah, 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 blah. It's like, I'm in the house now. And then um, Harry's, or Marv's had enough, too. As he go, he's in the house now, too. Wait, no, Marv is not in the house. He is stumbling along barefoot, and he sees the open window, which he gets into, yells to Harry, Harry, I'm coming in, and then he proceeds to put his feet down on the floor, not realizing that there are ornaments all over the floor, and then now he's got broken bits of glass and whatnot embedded into his feet. His feet will probably have to be amputated, or they'd be, like, stripping his feet feet to the bone to be able to pull out all the glass and shards and the nail. So Harry's in the house and he opens the door and gets the saran wrap glue on his face and then Kevin releases the thing on the fan which hits Harry in the face with all those feathers. So Kevin calls from the top of the stairs, hey you morons I'm upstairs come and get me. And that both Harry and Marv race for the stairs, not realizing those micro-machines are all there. They slip, fall on their asses, and then as they head up the stairs, Kevin's got another plan here, as we have some paint cans. Boom! They hit him right in the face. Actually, no. It hits Marv in the face first. And then it hits Harry, because you think, well, that's only one. Boom! Hits Harry in the face, knocks out his gold tooth when Marv is like, whoa, you are missing some teeth, guy. He's like, my gold tooth. Where's my gold tooth? I'm going to kill you. So Kevin's got a little trip wire up at the top of the stairs there. So uh, he also runs to his parents' bedroom to call the police. And he poses as a neighbor saying, my name is Murphy. I live at blah, blah, blah. And my house is being robbed. So that way the police are going to get there. So as Marv is, or Harry is going up the stairs, he's like, if you bomb me with one more can, kid, paint can, I'm going to snap up your cojones, meaning his balls, and boil them in motor oil. That is fucking nasty. So Harry and Marv make it to the top of the stairs, and uh, Harry's the first to go over that tripwire. Marv sees that and suspects it, so when he jumps, he leaps kind of like uh, pushing himself forward and he grabs onto Kevin's pant leg and Kevin is struggling here. He's like, damn it, damn it, damn it. While Harry's like, I got him, Harry, I got him, wake up, wake up. If I were Kevin, i just kick Marv right in the fucking face. He's right there. All you gotta do is just like back end him in the fucking face and he's out. But luckily, 
Buzz's tarantula is within arm's gr hands grasped as Kevin reaches for him, turns around, places the tarantula on Marv's face. And Marv lets out this horrendous scream, which actually was done in uh, post-production because uh, he said, you know, you can put the spider on me once, the tarantula on me once, but that's it. So they, he just mouths the scream, and then I guess it was recorded in later on. So the spider ends up, the tarantula ends up landing on Harry's stomach. And when Harry comes to, because he's been knocked out, Marv is standing over him with the um, crowbar. And Harry's like, Marv, Marv, what are you doing? Harry's got, Marv has got this crazy fucking look in his eye. Like, I'm going to kill this fucking tarantula. And Harry has no idea what's crawling on him. So Marv takes, whams him and the fucking chest. That is going to do so much fucking damage to his body. Kevin's now in the attic now, and he's got the little bicycle handlebars. That's going to be his thing that he's got strung up to get him from the attic all the way out to that little treehouse there. So Kevin makes it to the treehouse, and then Harry and Marv are up in the attic like, hey, where'd he go? And Marv's like, well, maybe he committed suicide. What the hell are you talking about? No, he didn't commit suicide. So Harry convinces Marv to get his ass out there, and then they're kind of shimmying along this rope that's been uh, stretched out to the treehouse. Like, we're going to go out there to the treehouse and get him. But Kevin's got a plan of his own as he pulls out these uh, giant uh, tree trimming shears, and he's like, hey, guys, I got a surprise for you breaks the uh, the rope, and that sends Harry and Marv into this crashing into the brick side of the house. So they see Kevin actually run across the street to the neighbor's house, and Marv's all ready to go and get him, but then Harry's like, hold on, hold on, I think if I can think hard enough about what he's going to do, i got a better idea, he's going to go through the basement Let's meet him at the top of the stairs. Because they've been in that house. They probably know where Kevin's going to come up from. So Kevin's up. And that house is so flooded in the basement with water. It's like a swimming pool. So Kevin goes up the stairs, opens it. Boom. Harry and Mark are at the top of the stairs. Like, hey, we caught you, little bastard. Pull him out of there. And they put him on the little hook there. And they're like, Marv's like, what are we going to do to him, Harry? And he's like, we're going to do every fucking thing that he did to us. But first, and this is really gross, Harry is like, first I'm going to bite off every single one of these fingers one at a time. That is gross. And he actually puts Kevin's finger in his mouth like he's going to chomp down on his fucking fingers. That creeped me out. But unbeknownst to Harry and Marv, somebody snuck in the house. That somebody is Marley, comes up behind Marv, slams Marv in the back of the fucking head with that shovel. Well deserved. Then he slams Harry, who turns around, slams him in the face with a fucking shovel. Knocks him out. Pulls Kevin. Marley pulls Kevin off that hook. He's like, all right, buddy, we got to get you home, okay? So he gets Kevin home, and then Kevin looks out the window as the cops roll up, and then they pull out Harry and Marv, who have magically come to consciousness. And uh, the cops are like, leaving the water running at every home? We know every fucking home you hit is like, you're going to be charged with all of that. All of those houses, you're going to be charged with all those counts of robbery. 
and destruction. I love how when the cops are pulling out with Harry and Marv in the back, Harry is like, like grimacing, like, you stupid little. And it's funny how he eyes Kevin is waving and smiling like, bye, asshole, you're going to fucking prison. So Kevin's now in his room. He's at robe. He's at home. He's got a glass of milk. He's got some cookies. Looks like M&M cookies. And some carrots, probably for the reindeer, because, you know, reindeer and carrots. So now we go back and visit with Kate and um, Gus, the polka king. And Kate is like, I'm a bad parent. I'm a bad parent. And Gus is like, no, you're not. Every one of us makes mistakes. He goes on and says how one of his bandmates has never met his kid. You know, and how Gus said, you know, one time we were at a funeral and left our kid there who was there all day with a corpse. Luckily, in about, you know, six or seven weeks, the son came around. He was talking again and everything. Basically, parents make mistakes. Parents forget things. Kids forgive them because they're resilient. You know, they love their parents. They, you know, it'll be fine. So Christmas morning shows up. Kevin's awake, and he runs down the stairs calling, Mom, Mom, Dad, Family. Where are you at? Goes out the door, doesn't see them, then comes back in like, oh no, Santa didn't answer my wish. My family, they really are gone. But seconds after he shuts that door, the budget van or the budget truck pulls up and we see Kate come out. And Kate just is calling for Kevin, sees his back is turned, and Kevin is like kind of surprised, like, could it be? But then he turns around, and he's upset. It's like, you left me here. You have no idea what I've been through. But she looks at him and says, I'm so sorry, baby. I am so sorry. And quickly, he's got a smile on his face, runs into his mom's arms. They hug and embrace. It is so sweet. And then he's like, well, where's everybody else? She's like, oh, maybe they wanted to come. They couldn't make it. But then, to both their surprises, Peter comes in with the kids who are all yelling and complaining about falling asleep in the back of a cab and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, the whole family is just like, oh, my gosh, Kevin, Kevin, I'm so glad you're okay. And Buzz is happy and everything like that. And then Kate's like, you know, we got to go to the store. Those stores are open. We need milk. That's when Kevin is like, hey, guys, I went shopping. I got milk, eggs, fabric softener, so we're all good. The family just looks at him in surprise, like, you're eight years old. You went shopping? Are you serious? One of his brothers is like, he doesn't even know how to tie his shoes, and he's going shopping. Yeah, asshole, he did that. He defended your house from being robbed, too. So, um... Kevin is like, your family's all off doing their own thing, getting set up and everything now that they're home. And Kevin notices some movement out in the, out the window from the, the living room. He sees Marley there with his son, daughter-in-law, and granddaughter. It is so sweet. They have such a sweet, beautiful reunion. And Marley sees Kevin, and they both wave at each other. It's really sweet. Um, Peter goes over to uh, one of the windows Finds Harry's gold tooth, asks Kate, like, honey, what's this? And then Kevin is still at the window, and we hear Buzz scream from the top of the stairs, Kevin, what did you do in my room? And then the credits roll, and Kevin's like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. So that is the movie. 
I hope you all enjoyed it. This is a very long podcast. I suggest if you guys are taking a long drive somewhere um, or you're doing housework or something, this would be, you know, good to, you know, you can play that in the background. So, all right, guys. I will be back again with some Wonder Years tomorrow, the Season 2, Episode 3, Christmas episode. So look for that tomorrow. All right, bye-bye. And also, I hope you enjoyed this uh, Home Alone commentary. I'm sorry that it was so long. I kind of go beat by beat.